0: Welcome everybody to episode nine of the Browns Film Breakdown Podcast. We are here celebrating a victory. And that's right, I said a victory. I am John Colosimo, your host. I am here, as always, with Jake Burns, who is present in the building when they did it. Jake, how are you feeling tonight?
1: John, man, I'm good. I'm really good. It was a it was an emotional roller coaster as some of those games in First Energy Stadium are is we'll talk about how it how the environment felt, obviously, but you know, it's for me. It's a drive from Columbus, so it's it's every bit of two hours. So, you know, you leave at nine in the morning to get up there a little bit early, and then you get back about seven thirty. Especially when that one went to overtime, and God, the two teams almost had a hundred pass attempts between them. So, yeah, it was good, man. It was a lot of fun. That that type of game, you know, too many of you Browns fans know the feeling when you when you do that long walk out of First Energy Stadium back to you know, past the muni lot and up the hill and you hang the right and that, that slow losing trudge you do after they somehow find a way to lose. But this, you know, that that walk is super bearable when you're walking out of there with a the win. It's, it's borderline fun. Everybody's feeling good, chanting and doing the dog barks and all, all the fun stuff. So that was that was cool, John.
0: Yeah, that was something else, man. I mean, uh, I, I, I can't um, I can't pretend that I didn't have that feeling of dread, you know, uh, as we gave up the field goal to tie it and we we're going into overtime and, uh, you know, they had that one drive that got extremely close to a uh, field goal range, which, uh, you know, their field goal kicker, Tucker, obviously has a, a hell of a range, so he doesn't need much. Uh, to To be able to pull this out was just, uh beyond what I expected
1: watching the game and uh it just feels good, man. Just feels good. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I would be I'd be foolish to tell you that I, there weren't at least five times during that game where I thought, I know how this is going to end and it's not gonna end in our favor. Yeah. God, when we miss the PAT, I'm like, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna beat us nine ten to nine. Or it just like They're just, you're trained, John, you know, man, like you're trained to find ways where Murphy's law sort of kicks in in that stadium. And it's, and it's a feeling and, you know, I'll get into this now, but it's a feeling in that stadium that is so unique. Like I've been to a lot of different stadiums, not many NFL stadiums. I've been to Paul Brown. I've, I've been to a couple local ones, but it's a feeling unlike any other where that stadium knows, and it has this like innate ability to know what just happened there really, in any other stadium probably wouldn't shift the feeling, but in Cleveland, like, you know, he misses the PAT and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a feeling when Joseph misses that PAT, you could just kind of feel the air sink out of the stadium. Like, I really don't want to think this is going to come back and bite us, but I feel like it is. And I was telling you, you know, we did the preview pod, John, I was telling you about that two years ago game at first energy stadium where, the Browns went up 20 to nothing and had the PAT blocked and returned for two points. And it's just a feeling in the stadium of like, I know this is going to happen or I, sorry, I know what just happened is going to somehow matter later. And I can't get it out of my mind that it's just going to swing everything. So yeah, man, there were, there were five or six times where, you know, the the culmination of my, this is how it ends is obviously where there's the, there's the no call on the Landry ball up the left sideline on fourth and five, which I thought he did a nice job of going for that. And I'm like, well, it's just two Joe Flacco dumps over the middle and a Justin Tucker 50-yard game winner. Like that guy's about as money as I've ever seen. So it's like that was the ultimate doom and gloom feeling, man. But yeah, that dude, that was that was awesome. It to 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 have I could tell you at least 20 times that that sort of game has been a game the Browns have lost and to, and to, and to actually win one of those is 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 a little surreal. I mean, I have a video I'll probably post at some point tomorrow, but my buddy is going crazy and I'm just kind of got my head in my hands. Like, did that really happen in our favor? Cause that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Especially against the Ravens. All right. Because, you know, yes, uh, the Browns love inventing new ways to, to lose a game and those kinds of things. But I think like really, a lot of those happen against the Ravens. Like this is especially that team where when things get down to the wire and, you know, some team's looking for a break and something's going to give either way. It always seems to go the Ravens way. That just seems this seems to be the team that benefits most from the Browns, you know, being on the wrong side of that ball. And so to get this, it was special.
1: No, no doubt. I and mean, then there were, you know, you add up the Murphy's Law stuff that the Browns have against them. And what I mean by that is that it's the feeling like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And then you add in, like, the other stuff that went on in the game, John. Like, the every time the Browns took a step forward, there was a penalty. It felt like it brought them back. So, like, every time the Browns took a step forward, it felt like the officiating was taken. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying, man. Like, I don't do conspiracy theory stuff with officiating I don't do it, but man, I just can't help but feeling like, and I tweeted it out, that the Browns are playing to some sort of different standard because a lot of the calls that get called, now there are some very obvious things they do, but some of the calls, like these hands to the face, and a couple of the holdings were like, I mean, I I don't I don't really see it. Like, Baker made that nice run up the left sideline, so he, he kind of stayed in bounds. You know what I'm talking about. He stayed yep, in bounds and, and ran for like 25 yards the holding call on Harrison was when he got bulldozed by Suggs and just kind of held on to brace himself from falling on the ground really hard. Phantom, it's just Total I, phantom Yeah, call. I just and then there was the block in the back. I mean I I all I'm saying is it feels like some of the calls with the Browns the past 2 weeks have been calls that you could call on every single play and it just feels really strange. Like I'm not going to deny that they're they're committing some penalties and I don't think that there's a conspiracy theory out there but it does feel like they're this could just be a sort of weird thing, man, like a one off or a two off here, but it does feel like they're being held to this different sort of standard. And it was really frustrating as a fan. They would make a nice play, and they would just get brought back, or something would be compounded. Like and to to add to the point earlier of the Browns and the Ravens, or it just kind of felt like every time they were right near Flacco to bring him down, he'd get rid of it somehow or something. It just it never really felt, John, to me like a game that we're gonna win, like. We're in control of this game. I mean, obviously, now that you have Baker Mayfield, you have a different sort of feeling, and that was true before this game. I, I think that kid can take you down the field at any given moment. But like, it was there was really nothing that made me feel great about us figuring out a way to win that game. It took it took some heroic efforts on a couple plays that we'll talk about that swung the game. But
0: no, I, I was, mean, I was ahead. genuinely surprised, honestly, for yeah. the
1: Win, you know i I was definitely waiting for
0: that shoe to drop and uh, in the
1: in the kick you know what i mean like yeah. the kick gets blocked tipped and if you you know some people were questioning i was having a conversation with a couple of friends on the way home and like it didn't get blocked it was just a back kick no if you listen to the instagram the browns posted of the kick you can hear it go thud thud and when you hear it hear it, the ball kicked and then tipped it's a boom boom and willie or sorry uh joseph talked about it too so it did get tipped i thought when it came did. off of us. Yeah, when it came off his foot, it was good. It looked like a normal rising kick, and it got tipped. So we'll watch the film breakdown, but you can certainly see where it starts on a normal trajectory, and then just sort of started, you know, ducking sideways when it got tipped. And if you really put the phone, your phone up to your ear, and listen to that Instagram post of that kick, because they have the Brown social media team is like right underneath the field goal post, so they have a really good view of it and a really good audio of it. You can hear the thud, thud. So it did get tipped, but I mean, just that's 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 weird man it's, it's the type of game that they lose so often and to have some things break their way they were really due for that in all honesty after the oakland game and how that shook out and obviously new orleans and how that shook out they were really due for that so i think you could say that you know two two and one probably is about fitting for where they should be you can always play that we should be five and oh card and like that's fine cool like i there's a way you could get to them being five and 0 i'm not stupid i don't miss that point but sometimes you got to understand that not everything breaks your way. So yeah, I mean, two, two and one is fine. Some of the games and I, I tweeted this out earlier too. Some of those games that looked like, man, we, how are we going to play with those teams? Aren't as daunting as they look like Tampa Bay is going through a real issue defensively. Fitzger or Fitzpatrick came back to earth. The Falcons are a mess defensively. Um, Denver gave up 200 yards to Isaiah Crowell today. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, there's a, there's a, Uh, There's a lot of winnable games on this schedule. A team I'm really interested in playing is Cincinnati because they're good, and that's going to be a fun one, um, matchup-wise. Which obviously we'll talk about way later. But yeah, from an immediate gut reaction, you know, when you're processing everything on the drive home, just a game that we don't typically win, and it's that culture changer, man. And I and I just keep going back to number six, buddy.
0: Absolutely. Now Baker. Uh, Baker had to hang in there tough, you know, and I guess to, let's let's go ahead and get right into it. So that we can talk about this. Let's, uh, let's get into the Browns offense versus the Ravens defense. And uh, some of the points that we had on the preview show where, you know, I brought it up a couple of times where I was worried about that strength on the outer edges. And uh, it seemed like our tackles really struggled with that most of the game. It seemed like Baker was under pressure for almost half his dropbacks. What do you think, Jake?
1: Yeah, we'll have to check how the All-22 looks and stuff like that. But from the naked eye when you're watching, and I'm watching live, and it's tough to see O-Line play live, but there was no missing the fact that there was no aggression from the tackle position. So sometimes you'll hear coaches talk about being passive-aggressive and passive. So what I mean by that, John, is you're passive at your pa- your kick step. You're passive getting back. Then you're aggressive, delivering a striking blow on about that second or third step. And then you're sort of passive again and you guide him. Some coaches talk about being aggressive, passive aggressive. So delivering that first blow on your initial step back, then being passive and letting him respond and then being aggressive to what his response is. The Browns aren't doing that. So what they're doing or what their two tackles did today, now there's no doubt that the middle of the field is is pretty sloppy. They need to resod that thing at some point. Because the, the middle of the field terrain, as with all football fields, gets sloppy after a certain point. The Browns bring in they have another home game next week. So but you could feel that their footing was never set. So obviously, you know, when you're playing against the Ravens, you have to be able to handle Terrell Suggs and Desmond Harrison. If if you've talked to anybody or understand his game. He's not strong yet. He doesn't have a great amount of core strength, per se. So there was no doubting that that Hubbard at right tackle and then obviously um, uh, Harrison at left tackle were just being driven into Mayfield. So this is, this is where Harrison's going to have to figure it out because the scouting report was eventually going to show us a weakness. And I'm kind of surprised it took this long. And maybe – Maybe John, like Terrell Suggs is just that good. I mean, he's a freaking bull, dude. Sure, like he's good. Sure. He's a man. So, you don't face Terrell Suggs every week and Terrell Suggs is a bull rush supreme. So, you just kind of got to anchor and try your best and go on. So, I'm I'm not this is not a well, Desmond Harrison's terrible. Like I'm reading some of those things on Twitter. Like he's not terrible. He's a very workable player, certainly raw, but uh but there was a part of his game that really got exposed. Now I got to really dig into Chris Hubbard because I don't know what's going on. But to your point, John, yeah, I mean, from a pass stamp passing standpoint in this game, the tackles were a big issue. They seemed to have, or at least felt to me, pretty often on straight drop stuff that he was, they were being pushed into his lap, and it was Mayfield was just trying to work pocket presence to elude them. So when you're a quarterback. You go through pocket maneuverability drills. So you'll have two guys on the edges and you'll blitz them either upfield. And if those two guys go upfield, you're stepping up. If one goes inside and one goes upfield, you're kick stepping, sliding over, and stepping up. And vice versa. If they both go inside, you're spinning out and trying to find a way out of it. So, like, quarterbacks work that stuff. And that was what you saw Mayfield really having to do. Is is every drop? I have to figure out what the tackles are going to give me, so I can figure out where to kind of maneuver within the pocket to get where I need to get. You'll you'll see it. Like if you rewatch the game, you'll notice Baker trying to feel that out. And as a quarterback, that added pressure of I got to figure out what the hell my tackles are doing to to figure out where what you know sort of time. If it's not a quick throw, if it's an intermediate or late building concept, um, because I know you messaged me, John, about like, does it seem like Baker's holding on to it too long, or the wide receiver, like? That's in a layer of thought process that Mayfield's going through, which slows everything down for a second or two. And it's like if a quarterback processing defense at this level is hard enough as it is, especially if you got Jimmy Smith and Eric Weddle as a defensive backs on the other side. Sure. So um yeah, that that's where it was to me. Like they were a little slow on some of those longer things because Mayfield was trying to figure out where do I go? Like how do I maneuver out of this? Because I can't just sit back. Like I can't sit back and throw. And that's kudos to Baltimore. They figured out a way to do it. Brown's gotta figure out a way. And I didn't I didn't feel like they did much in, in, in terms of chipping from, from my stadium seat. So I'm gonna have to watch that. So no I that was, that's where I'm at.
0: I don't think they really did. And you're right. Uh you know, it's just like uh a little bit to what you were saying, you know, about that uh, aggressive or passive aggressive, you know, it definitely didn't seem like our tackles were landing an initial punch if that makes sense, you know, uh, they, they definitely weren't getting any kind of a slowdown and, uh, it was tough for Mayfield. And at times you might've even felt, uh, say third, fourth quarter, uh, you might've even been a little worried that he was getting a little rattled. Uh, but I think that, uh, ultimately, you know, he bounced back in the end and was able to make a couple of plays. He was very slippery. He, he did a fantastic job of slipping a couple of would-be sacks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was just a it was a tough situation. I think he was under fire for a lot of the game. And it's like when we talked about in the preview, uh, I wondered, you know, could we protect him long enough to exploit some of those zones? Because, you know, Baltimore's going to cover really well uh, on that first read. And you saw that a lot. Baker didn't really have a lot of times where he was able to, you know, hit that first read decisively like he has in previous games. And, uh, you know, without being able to comfortably go to his second and third, uh, it was trouble a lot of the game. So he had to just, you know, do what he could, you know? So, uh, you know, for a lot of the game, uh, it was, he was able to still move the ball. And uh, it wasn't uh, easy at all for the entire game, but in the end, he was able to
1: make the plays he needed to make. Yeah, and it's just another level of, like, difficulty because being able to do those sorts of things and and still find a way to put up over 300 yards. And, like, you know, I'm not oblivious to the fact that passing yards doesn't always equal success, but in the modern NFL, it's a route to success, and they they certainly threw it well enough. And I give a lot of kudos to Mayfield because – He was dealing with some stress like, you know, it doesn't take somebody really intelligent to tell that that interception wasn't on Mayfield. How, How it's taught as a quarterback is you work progressions from from side to side. Whatever side you start, you work to the other side. It never goes, you know, right, left, right or anything crazy like that. You kind of just work. It's like reading a book. You read it from side to side. You know what I mean? From one edge of the line to the next edge of the line which is pretty pretty common understanding but what happened is Mayfield's reading play side he comes back to his backside is kind of keeping his feet live as he's known to do Um, and you have Higgins on a drag you know as a part of his backside route concept and he's pretty open he's got a step on the drag and I don't know for some reason he turns up field like he thinks Mayfield's scrambling and maybe the corner of his eye he saw and thought Mayfield was going to escape out of that pocket to the left because he had the ability to and he wanted to turn upfield and make a play i i don't know but he took off upfield and if he doesn't take off upfield that's a completion for a first down on that third down situation so that inter- yeah the interception was fluky so it, it it's just a sort of thing that happened. so um and i'm sure baker will take blame for it as he's done all along so um uh, but yeah i mean you're, you're you're talking numbers. He was 25 of 43, which is, it's, it's pretty solid. You're throwing for over 300 against Baltimore. Hasn't been done this year. I haven't looked into 2017 Baltimore. See how many times somebody threw for 300 yards on him, but I'll tell you this much. It's an accomplishment and it's especially an accomplishment with the, the set of wide receivers that he has right now, which there's some talent there and there's no lie, but um, I, I've seen other quarterbacks that have better groups of wide receivers. So um, we'll leave it at that. So 342, even, you know, include overtime, you take out the willies catch. He's right around 300 by the end of regulation. So it's close, but nonetheless, 58% completion should have been in the mid sixties. If his guys hang on to throws that he put on the money, five stacks, isn't pretty. Uh, we'll have to take a look at them. I just didn't feel like they protected the edges very well, but there's, I'm sure there's some of them that were on him. The The, the one people were really talking about early in the game, John was the, they brought Weddle off the left side in between the tackling guards. Nobody touched Weddle. It looked to me like the Browns were running a screen there, and Mayfield was kind of trying to sell it right and dump it left. We'll watch it. It's going to look really weird on film because the running back, it's caught up with the end. So it's just – it's strange. That play was strange altogether. uh, Yeah, I think either
0: way that ended up being a mistake on Harrison's because uh, or Harrison's side because Harrison and the running back both ended up taking uh, the end and leaving Weddle uh, on the inside in between them. I think it's just a a mix up. They end up, you know, they have enough blockers there. They just made a mistake and both go for the same guy.
1: It could be, and it it certainly could be. I just I get I get a little nervous when I assign blame because I don't know. So, it, it, you know, when a, when a back is out, he could he could just be trying to sort of sell upfield and then take off on a screen like a dump. You know, how like quarterbacks will throw those screens where they dump it inside the end. Do you know what I'm saying? That they do that on occasion. I think Mayfield was probably a little bit slow and okay. didn't realize that blitz off of his backs. And this is just me talking. I'm not saying either one of us are right, but. He could be, he, he has to see that they brought an extra man, even if they would have gotten a touch on him that heats up your screen concept. So he needs to really turn and see it quicker because really when he got hit from behind the ball, he hadn't even really looked left, but you could see what the lineman did. They, they kind of chucked and released like it's a screen. So I, you know, it, th- their screen game is pretty bad. I, they, 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 re- they did run Very one good. quick wider screen, wide receiver screen that was, that was solid, but you know, it, I'm not sure how much success NFL teams in general have with screens anymore. I think we get two ends of the spectrum. We have a defense that just doesn't understand that. Oh, they're letting me go. I, I can get to the quarterback. Yeah, I'm gonna go. And then they like they get they, then they that that key third down the Ravens had you know to tie the game. Yeah, where they, they the Browns sent to eight guys after him. It's like seventeen you know, yards. It was
0: it was yeah. Uh, frustrating.
1: Yeah, the Browns. So we get like the Browns defense, which is pound your head against the wall, against the screen. And, and the Browns defense, is, they played great today. So I'm not picking out negatives. I'm just pointing out two things. And then we get our offense, which is just kind of, it feels like defenses read screens that we throw better than anybody else. So, you know, we're on, we're on both ends of the spectrum there. But moving on, man, we'll talk about Hyde. I thought Carlos Hyde played well. 17 carries for 63 yards. Late in the game, they got away from him. I thought it was a game he could have gotten over 100 yards. It kind of felt like that to me when they were running in between the tackles and letting him be patient, they ran a ton of duo, which from up there I could I, I have to break it down, but it felt like they were running a ton of duo and kind of letting him guide his path. So when you run duo, duo stands for two. Obviously, you have two double teams at the point of attack, and how you can tell duo is really the lineman step opposite of the back's path. Inside zone, you're running your your running back is going a certain direction, and the line's initial step is in that direction. So that's usually an indicator right off the rip, but in duo you leave the mic backer untouched and you you cut off of him so um I noticed a couple of times they did it early look good I think they ran a couple outside zones where he kind of bent it back inside but yeah i thought I thought he played well he was pretty patient early again late they got away from it. It was desperation throwing time. So like mid fourth quarter on, they didn't really give him the ball very much, but he was fine. What did you think?
0: Now there were some really good, uh, tough yards from Carlos where like, I truly, uh, was happy to have him on my side. Like there were some tough, tough yards. And like you said, uh, a couple ones where he was very patient, uh, and got some yards where there weren't too many there. Uh, if, uh, you know, if he had just been a little bit, uh, less patient with the blocking so i definitely thought carlos you know overall had a had a very good game against a tough defense and uh there was definitely a case or two where i was happy to see him get some some earned yards there
1: yeah without a doubt man he thought he played well they gave duke the ball five times he had the 15 yard run in overtime which was a really nice run um it, i don't know they they have to find a way to, I, i'm not we're not going to have this conversation again but they just have to find a way. I they they paid the guy money, top ten running back money in the league. Like find a way. I don't know what that way is. I've suggested a hundred different ways. Those guys are smarter than me. Maybe like here's my thought, John. Like if Duke can't handle different things, sort of like playing in the slot, flat motion, taking a jet handoff different quirky ways to get him screens different ways to get him in the slot against linebackers or even split out wide against linebackers like if he can't handle that then why did you pay him like that's where I'm at with it because you you're paying a guy good money to sit on the sidelines and he only had six true touches in the game so
0: let me belt off a lot uh, about this a little bit, Jake, because sure. Uh,
1: I'm, a, I'm a little
0: pissed. Okay. Look, you have a game where uh, Higgins got hurt. Okay. Yes. So we are, we are down to playing willies. Okay. And. You have a fantastic receiving back. Uh, and we're still playing this guy like he's a gadget back or, uh, just there for third and longs where you're going to dump a screen off to him to try and cut that in half or whatever. No, this is not like, this is not good usage. Okay. This guy is a fantastic route runner. Okay. He's a very, very good receiving back. One of the best in the game and. in a game where you lost one of your important wide receivers in Higgins, how he wasn't worked in more, and instead Willie's was like, I, I mean, I I just kind of feel like uh, Todd doesn't seem to understand what to do with this guy, and and it really upsets me. I I don't understand like what their their goal is, what they what they're trying to do with him, because he certainly is not worth the money if that's what you're trying to get out of him.
1: Yeah, so he's making the eleventh most. Uh, uh, average year dollars. His contract is 15 million, 15.6, and he's making the 11th most at 5.2 this year in the NFL at the running back position. He's he's sandwiched in between Ezekiel Elliott and Giovanni Bernard. So um, you know, the guys who are in front of him, like Leonard Fournette, McCoy, Devontae Freeman, uh, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, those are the guys in front of him, Saquon Barkley, because he's a rookie like that's kind of crazy dude i mean, i mean i don't know what other way to put it you're you're not playing it you're you're basically just you're paying him for like i mean he got six touches he probably had 20 snaps so look at the snap counts later but i i don't know i don't i don't know what their justification is for it. and and you don't you certainly don't want to you know force the thing to him because then teams can kind of figure out duke johnson's on the field they're giving him the ball kind of thing like he's got to be on the field I don't know. I just don't get it. I would love to have be able to ask that question because to me, it's like you're paying this guy top. He's the highest paid running back on your team. He's making five point two while while Carlos is making five point zero eight. What's your What's your reasoning for not putting the? Is he not good enough? Is he not cerebral enough to to handle multiple different things? Like I know Hugh Jackson came out once again and made note of we got to get Duke Johnson. I don't know, man. They're failing. They're failing him, and they're probably in a way putting their team at a disadvantage to win games because of it. Like, I'm not saying it's a disadvantage, like playing. I just think they could be using him and it could be helping them win. It's just a slight edge in their favor. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not, know i am i am guessing on the snap count number, but you know, Nick Chubb had three carries for two yards. I thought Chubb was much more involved. His snap count number was higher. Now I don't, I don't totally always judge, excuse me. (coughs) Oh, sorry. I got no voice from the game. But I I don't always judge, like, carries as an indicator of involvement. So that's why I'm a little slow on saying Duke wasn't involved. But, like, I thought they got Chubb in the game early. They got him reps. They got him snaps. He was in their pass blocking more and more. So I like that he was more involved. Like, sometimes carries and catches are sort of within the flow of a down and distance situation. So, like, they targeted Chubb once out of the backfield. I'm okay with it. I, I want to see him run the ball more, but I don't know. What do you think, man? I, I'm I'm rambling about the running yeah. back spot. But, no, no, no. It,
0: uh, you know, I think it's, we probably should spend a little bit of time on the play calling a little bit here and how that uh, kind of affects the effectiveness of some of these guys. I want to come back to a couple individual players on the offense before we move on to defense, but I want to take a second here uh, because it seems to flow right into this is that Todd Haley – I don't think did a great job in this game of putting these players in the best position to uh, succeed. And that goes to the running backs and it goes to Baker Mayfield uh, by it would have looked like to me a, a very, very conservative game plan where uh, he I thought through several uh, several possessions to the wind by rushing on first and second down. And I felt like for a good portion of this game, if he had flipped the pass rush ratio on its head uh, for what he chose, he would have made the run game stronger and he would have made things easier for uh, Baker Mayfield. And before I turn it over to you real quick, like I just want to say like Baker Mayfield, I think even going back to preseason, all right, this guy is, has been put in a, ton of third and long situations and he is converting in my opinion I don't have the numbers in front of me and I will get them for uh, for our next pregame show Uh, he's converting at a ridiculous rate because we keep putting him in there uh, in Mm -hmm. these situations and he's he's converting at a ridiculous rate but that was a terrible situation to put him in in this game, and it made the tackles look worse. Putting him in consistent uh, third-long situations, it made everybody's job harder. And uh, you know, from the running backs to Baker Mayfield to the tackles, everybody. And uh, I think that uh, I think it was really hurting us this week. Did you see those types of things?
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have to watch it. I certainly was in the stands feeling like I could predict what the Browns were going to do. And several times I did, Uh, I would say majority of the time I had a feel for if they were going to run it or throw it. Um, So like, I I just think Todd Haley is sort of like a B coordinator. Like I think he, you can win plenty of games with Todd Haley. Like he's going to do some quirky things like the direct snap to Duke. Like he's going to come up with some quirky things that can work here and there. And, um, you know, with Mayfield, Mayfield's going to make him probably look a little bit better than he is in some situations, because you're right. Talking about, you know, Mayfield, one of Mayfield's best traits is his ability to complete situations that you shouldn't, you know, probably com- com- complete in terms of third down. I would say 80% of quarterbacks in the NFL are are very unlikely to complete third and longs, like Eighty percent of them, I feel good about saying I don't want them in third and seven plus. And I think Mayfield's in the twenty percent number of all those guys. So, good point. Like He he he's good. He's good in third downs, and it's just a knack. Like sometimes it's it's literally just a knack for being like a guy who rises to the moment. And he's he's clearly a guy who rises to the moment. I, I keep stealing the phrase that Trevor. If you watch my my YouTube video with with Trevor, Trevor obviously knows good football, Harris had him on. Uh, he's a quarterback up in the CFL, really good player, man. And, you know, he, him and I talked last year about, about Baker, like Browns or sorry, at the Ohio state game and stuff. And he's just a needle mover, man. Like there's certain guys who move the needle for a franchise and he's, he, he's got a knack for it. And then in big moments, he just kind of gets better and he elevates those people around him, And he brings that level of calmness and yeah, whatever it is, man, that undefinable, unquantifiable thing that we call it, he has it. So um, that's cool. That's good. He's on our team. But yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna ever put Todd Haley in terms of just like, man, look at the matchup that he got right there. Like, I feel like if you gave, you know, Sean McVay this off, and now Sean McVay is like the A plus coordinator right now, calling plays, is the head coach, he's their OC, right? Like, I mean, Kyle Shan, like, I feel like there's so many weapons that. It should be like, man, look at how they got Duke Johnson isolated on this linebacker right here and picked it apart like that. That should be a thing we're saying all the time. Ooh, look at this little wrinkle. Like we should have more little wrinkles that like Duke Johnson needs to be involved in. Like put him in the slot, jab him outside like he's something, then tunnel him back inside on a quick screen inside, or you put guard center guard out on the line. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just don't think that they're utilizing that player enough. And to me, especially when you lose. Higgins, like you mentioned, John, it needs to be a big part of what you do. And even if you have Higgins, he needs to be a big part of what you do. So uh, that to me was a problem. And and, and until I've yet to say in two years breaking down tape now, they're like, man, they they got Duke Johnson earned his paycheck today. And maybe I could once or twice last year, but so far this year, five games deep. They have not put him in a workload position, and it, I'm not saying workload is hand him the ball the backfield, but get just different things, man, because he's capable. And if you don't think he's a capable receiver, go back and watch 2017 Week One against Pittsburgh, where he was open a couple times on different routes up the field, and Deshaun just missed him. Like there's a route early in the game where he he's on a five vertical concept, and he's got it. He's got a ste- two steps, and he just misses him. And it's like I don't know why he's not doing more. Like he should be that player he should yeah. be that tyree i say tyree kill knowing that there's not another tyree kill in football like people got mad at me. that that tweet kind of took off but like someone came a couple people came back well there is no other ty- i know there's not another tyree kill like that dude is a flash in the pan like he's great but that role is a thing and that role should be usable for somebody like duke johnson and that i'll continue to say it
0: no jake uh there's a there's tape of him at new orleans uh you know, juking not juking people out of their shoes because it's a route, but he routes the shit out of their nickel corner and gets a huge amount of separation. This guy is capable of, uh, he's one of the few people on this team uh, capable of getting that type of separation, and it just doesn't seem like they're interested in using him quite like that or they're still learning or whatever the case may be. But Duke Johnson is a fantastic route runner, uh, and you put him on a safety or a linebacker, and good luck.
1: we i don't know man i'm not trying to pull the i'm smarter than the oc card like that's not my goal it never is but i i need to know i would love to get like todd haley at a bar with a beer which is probably a bad thing to say about todd haley but um, (laughs) yeah no shit just yeah just just have him have a candid conversation with him and be like man why don't you guys use duke johnson to do because maybe he maybe he'll tell you maybe he'd open up and say hey man like that guy can't handle it. Like we run this shit in practice for the guy all the time. And he just, he just continually botches it and we can't trust it. And like, that, that to me is a sufficient answer. That's fine. But then my next question would be, Hey, John Dorsey, why did you pay him that money then? Like why, why if he, if he's, if he can't handle it or your coaches can't get that out of him, which that's cool. That, that happens to players all the time in the NFL. Why did you give him $15 million? Like that, that's a fair question. So it's either management botched this whole thing with Duke or, the coaches aren't getting what they need to get out of him, or even giving him the opportunity to get that kind of stuff out of him. So somebody's wrong here, and uh, we'll just you know we'll just we'll just have to see. But but on on the receiver aspect, you had Landry with five catches for sixty nine yards on ten targets. Uh, Najoku was a factor. Um, I got a little frustrated with him in game. I had to delete that tweet because I, I've been a big Najoku supporter. Like through thick and thin, people argue with me. Like I think the guy is obviously a freak of nature athletically. Um, you know, his body's ridiculous. He's young still, but he's got to figure out a way to make tough catches. Like the ball down the left sideline probably got tipped late in the game. That's fine. I'll watch it. But the ball where Baker is, is going earlier in the game gets out of a. uh, it's a scrambling situation up the left sideline. he has got to find a way to get that ball caught. Like he's got to find a way to make those plays and the Browns need him to, because they're going to keep throwing him the ball now. It just all I'm saying is this if he doesn't like he had six catches for sixty nine yards he was fine, he had a long a long play of twenty four yards he caught some balls over the middle, made some nice catches, but he has a knack for dropping balls that are important, so if he doesn't figure that out, he's going to draw ire from the fan base, and eventually it's gonna be a problem, like they're gonna to have to consider whether. In big moments, like are we going to play Seth Valve, are we going to play Darren Fells, or whoever? Because it's it can't happen. It just can't happen. Like what happened when that ball got tipped dropped late in the game? I look immediately at the body language of the the Browns players on the field, and they're pissed. Like they're they're all throwing their head back because it was dropped. Like and again, I I get it. It probably was tipped. I haven't watched it again yet. It I've only was, thrown it was. Yeah, I've only thrown up one clip on Browns from breakdown. But what that body language tells me, John, is. They didn't know it was tipped, and they just thought it was dropped. Like he's dropped a lot of passes before that matter. So, it's a problem. Is all I'm saying. And I want to be right about this guy. Like I've been I've been on that train. I've been preaching about he's one of the only tight ends at the age of 22 to do things like Gronk and Tony uh, Gonzalez and, and Aaron Hernandez. Like he's on that short list of young tight ends who who did some things at the age of 22. But he has to figure out a way to bring in consistent catches because that's what they need him to do.
0: No, I agree, Jake. Uh, and I, I'm going to go out of limb here. And I'm going to tell you, I think that you're going to feel better about him uh, on Wednesday than you do today. Uh, you know, this is back to back games where he's setting career highs for catches. Uh, he had five last week. He had six this week. Uh, a couple of really important ones, especially on that, uh, on the uh, drive uh, in the two minute drill to get that touchdown. Uh, and, you know, uh, where we talked about, uh, remember when I bitched about, um, getting cook out, out there on the, uh, on the edge against Kindred against Oakland uh, and how I don't see us doing that. Uh, We actually did get the uh, Joku out there on Humphreys, not quite Mm -hmm. as good a matchup as, as that one, but they got him out on the edge against uh, Humphreys made a great move. Got a, a, you know, good, good catch for 20. And then the very next play he got in the seam for 20. uh, You know, I think that, I agree, I, I share your frustration on some of that, but I, I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, I think you're gonna feel better once you break down this tape on Najoku as far as what he's bringing to the offense. I think that we're starting to scratch the surface of that. Uh, I agree he's gotta he's gotta break that kind of uh, trend of dropping big passes. Uh, you know, I can say like <laughs> I my experience really doesn't matter, but i I know that like th- these like slight little tips, like uh happened on that one uh on that one play where he dropped it uh they can make a big difference in trying to catch a ball, and I'm not trying to make excuses from him or for him, but i I do think that he's taken a step in the right direction overall, even if some of it was uh exasperating today uh like I said, like I'm gonna go out on a limb, i'm gonna say when we talk to Jake on Wednesday, I think you're gonna feel better about him um than you do right now. Uh but uh one other thing I want to talk about too while we're on these tight ends is what happened to Devalve? He catches that one huge uh pass when we're backed up into the end zone for 20 yards. I didn't see him the rest of the game. What the hell happened to Devalve? And again, this is a game where Higgins went out and you are deciding that you want Willie's in there, and I know Willie's made the big play at the end of the game. That's great, wonderful. Okay, but how is it that uh, Higgins goes out and you have players like Duke and you have DeValve and you're going to willies over these two players who are, uh, more proven. And, you know, I, I just, I was a little frustrated. I did not see DeValve the whole rest of the game. Did you?
1: No, I mean, I certainly didn't see any targets thrown in his direction and I don't, I don't recall really looking for him snap count wise. So I'll have to look into that. But yeah, he had one target for 26 yards. So, um, yeah, maybe they're just easing him back in. And this is really actually, and if you think about it, John, it is kind of early with how little he's been practicing and stuff. It is kind of early in Todd Haley's system. So maybe there's a little bit of the learning curve stuff going on with him, having missed all of camp with the quad and all of that. So I, I'm just planning excuses. I'm just playing the devil's advocate side of things. That stuff could go into it. But I'd like I'd like to see Seth on the field more. If they're going to play two tight ends, I, I, I that that's the guy I want to be in there. He looked great on that play, right? Yeah, he did. I mean, I didn't get a great view of it because some um, drunk lunatic was standing up in front of me. The seats were pretty great where we could we could be, you know, pretty unab- unabated in terms of view. But um, I didn't I didn't see it really well. I want to watch it again, but I do. I mean, I obviously I saw the quick replay they show on the scoreboard, and it was nice play. So I mean, he's athletic. There's no denying that. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. We'll break it down. I, I want to see Seth Moore. I'm a big believer in his game. The last few years, he's been a consistent player for them, so I'm with you. But I do think maybe I don't. I don't think I'm just giving, like I said, uh, reasons why maybe he's not getting a, a few more snaps, is getting comfortable in an offense that he's still learning and in all of the intricacies that come with not practicing and just finally getting healthy. So maybe that's it. I, I was frustrated with Callaway. Um, again, again, uh, that that that. Stop route that he that Baker threw to him or comeback. I got to watch it again. Where, I mean, I that was just a ridiculous throw in the stadium. The arm strength to get that there and like, I need in certain situations for a receiver. It's third and thirteen, third and fifteen. I need you to just kind of cradle the ball. I, I mean, like, at that point, I need you to know I'm beyond the sticks. There's clear like I drove this guy off. I'm running. He's in my hip pocket. I drove him off. I made my cut. He's going to be behind me. I need to worry just about bringing this ball in. And, like, he he catches it and his arm gets hit. And he, because he's trying to turn outside, his arm gets hit and it just flops out of his Like, I need you to cradle it and just come down with it. There are certain situations where you need to be cerebral enough to know that. And that, that will happen for him as he gets more you know mature in the game but that that's the stuff that we need to see like those are the plays that win or lose games sometimes that was a late missed opportunity i believe it was on like their their three minutes in the game left situation another drive
0: killer another
1: drive yeah killer. it was before baltimore tied it it was the drive before baltimore went down and tied it so Frustrating. I mean, he had one deep ball shot that I can remember offhand, and Jimmy Smith just bullies him out of bounds, and just kind of. That was a bad one,
0: Jake. I, th- I like. I gotta fault him on that one. I was gonna bring it up if you didn't, uh, but that was a bad route by him. Like he he gave up way too much uh, of the boundary space there. Uh, you know there there was just no excuse for that. He didn't he didn't have to allow Jimmy Smith to to bully him like that. That was a yeah. bad route by him.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm agreeing. I got to watch it again, but I remember watching it live going, man, he just kind of got that was like a grown man bullying him out of that situation. So He
0: gave up a lot in that too. Like, yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. Jimmy Smith definitely, you know, played it like exactly like a corner is coached to do it, but he he gave up a ton of that sideline space even before he got pinched like that. You know, it's just a rookie mistake like that and and he's going to look at that, I think in the film room and know that uh, th- there's a lot on him on that on that play.
1: I'm with you, man. I think you're you're certainly right about that. Um, Rashard Higgins had three catches for 66 yards before his knee injury. Obviously, the touchdown ball, which um, I, we called an, you know, I learned from Trevor kind of how they coined the term Ray route. So it was an inverted version of that, where you sort of stem outside, you're vertical for 10, and then you post it off. And it's kind of where It works for timing purposes. And It was a money route, money ball. He caught three catches for 66, like I said, on four targets. On the year, he's caught 13 of 19 targets for a 68.4% catch uh, percentage, which is really good. Like That guy maximizes his targets. I yeah. like Richard Higgins a lot. They use him well timing route wise, Baker working his eyes to him. There was the miscommunication on that upfield throw sort of thing, but it's tough to get really mad at a player for anything like that. So I, I really like Higgins. I hope the MRI comes back clean. Obviously, if it doesn't come back clean, or even if it does and he's out a week or two, the Rashard Matthews saga is going to be interesting. I know he's coming in this week, and you know, people at the OBR, the people with sources, um, you know, uh, you I guys who follow too. the OBR know <laughs> that they might they might still poke the bear with Des Bryant. So we'll see. Um, and I, I don't ever doubt what Lane has to say. Every a lot of what he says comes to fruition. So um, we shall we shall see. But they. They probably need to add another receiver. But, you know, Derek Willies, three catches on five targets, 61 yards, has that 39-yard huge game when it mattered. That sort of man down, step up play thing is awesome. So, um, you know, maybe maybe Willies can find the situation where he plays a little bit more. Sometimes those chaos games you enter, it's a one-off sort of thing. But he was fine in preseason. I thought he when I visited camp a few times on the sidelines there, I was impressed by his length. And, you know, his ability to stride out, he can run. So they might have something there. We'll see. Maybe Damian Ratley gets a little bit of run. Um, You know, when when Baker plays, we just need guys that can catch the ball. And that's a hard conversation that's coming. Like I brought it up last. I think I brought it up on the preview pod. Like you have a guy who can throw you open, a guy who can put the ball into tight windows. I, I really need the Browns to focus on moving forward targeting guys that have zero issues catching the football in contested catch situations like that like some scouts kind of can look over that for this guy's got the speed his route running is the x y like that they need to sort of prioritize when they look at i'm sorry when they look at their priorities for the type of receiver they want to bring in a long baker obviously you need a guy like antonio Calais who can lift a lid but um they need to target guys who can do what I'm just saying, like go get balls on the seam route that it's a super contested catch and you bring it in those tough catches because you have a quarterback who will make those tough throws that needs to be a part of what they, they kind of highlight. So I'm hoping that's a part of what they do.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you just need to, you need guys that are not going to give up on routes that are going to be ready for that football, even in strange situations where maybe you wouldn't get it otherwise, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, those That's what we need, you know, so uh, whoever's going to give us that I'm for.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. That's got to be, that'll be something to be interesting about. You know, you don't, you need more Landry types than you need Callaway types with, with a quarterback like Mayfield. So that should be the focus as they move toward next year and all the above. Um, uh, I mean, up front, we talked about it a little bit. We'll kind of wrap up offense. The tackles weren't very good. I feel like guard center guard wasn't an issue. So we'll just have to, I mean, stats are never going to tell you anything five sacks we're just gonna have to watch i don't really have anything else to say other than the tackles are pretty pretty obvious um issues that that we're just going to have to dig in deep and look at the, the tape and see what pff has to say about um you know how those guys played but nobody else interior wise stood out to me i noticed corbett got some more snaps it was nice to see him active today i don't know what's going on with the The rotation of active inactive between Corbett and Watford. I, I have maybe they just say you had a better week of practice and you're dressing this week. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I would imagine if it were me, Corbett would dress every week because that's the rookie I need to be a part of this franchise at some point. But that's not my call to make.
0: No, I mean, and I think he's a quality player. Like I know right now, like it's very easy to criticize that pick uh, because of what he contributed to this team to this point but uh you know for anybody who you know is not too much in a draft all right Corbett was a premium interior offensive line prospect he really was uh, and I thought he made some strides in the preseason and it's very weird to see a guy like Watford uh, dressing in front of him I really am not sure but don't make any judgments based on what you're seeing so far, because uh, the kid has talent. I don't know how much he's going to contribute uh, this year, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't be making any judgments based on what you've seen so far, or based on what like some of those guys that we could have taken. You know, that's a long-term pick. It's a yeah. it's a long view there,
1: and that's how I view Chad Thomas too. Like, there are people on two ends of the spectrum with Chad Thomas. There are people that I respect too want to bury him right now and there are people that I also have a lot of conversations with that think he's like the second coming of Michael Strahan or something like I think he's somewhere in the middle of below average and bad right now but that doesn't mean he can't have long-term value if he figures out what they want from him so I'm not going to give up on like Chad Thomas was an active today and I figured that was coming for him at some point because he's really not a factor right now it's easy to say right now that that pick looks really terrible but I, I mean, I get it. We can do twenty twenty hindsight, and they probably did get that pick wrong. But I'm not willing to right now just bury the guy's career uh, based on rotational snaps and all of the above. Like, give I'm going to give him some time, let him figure out some things, and and if it, I, I need to give him a couple years to see if he has rotational value because you can't you can't give up on those types too earlier, you know. Barkevious Mingo ends up contributing at other places, so you you just gotta you just gotta kind of see. So I'm not gonna jump on one into the spectrum or the other. I just know right now he doesn't seem to be. You know, I made this comment to uh, one of the people that really stands for him that I don't think he's he's really contributing to the ultimate goal, which is winning. So there are probably other people at this very second that they could justify activating and playing, such as you know Price up front. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, let's talk defense, my man.
0: Let's do it. Yeah, let's talk defense. And, you know, they had a hell of a game. Uh, you know, I have some issues, uh, you know, on certain aspects of how uh, Greg called the defense. But, uh, you know, let's start uh, on the edges here because uh, the number four pick earning his keep. Uh, Denzel Ward had a fantastic week. Uh, right place, right time on the tip drill. I think that was Miles Garrett that uh, tipped that It was Ogba. It was Agba. It was Agba. Agba. Agua. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but a couple passes defensed. uh, Denzel looked really good. It didn't look very hard covering John Brown at all, really, as far as, uh, when, when he went, uh, and tried to go downfield, mm-hmm. uh, he, he looked really excellent and really is making John Dorsey look really good here as far as selecting him where a lot of people wanted Chubb. Would you Yeah.
1: No, yeah, man. I mean, they they tried to early in the game take a couple deep shots to Brown where they said, "Hey man, you're running deep no matter what and go get it and those plays were broken up. They they started to run a little later second quarter on option routes where if he couldn't if he couldn't read taking the top off the defense, he kind of settled in so they're kind of stem curls almost so you're running and you're choosing whether you want to take off on that post or kind of curl it up at 15 yards. So they hit him on a couple of those but yeah, I'd like to look at the John Brown target numbers against Ward because John Brown had 14 targets and only four catches for 58 yards, so they held him in check. Crabtree had 12 targets for six, for 66. Like The Browns did a nice job covering the middle of the field. I mean, they gave up 298 passing yards, but that was against 56 attempts. So, I mean, that's crazy. That's, that's really good. They had an interception, the Ward one, like you talked about. But yeah, Denzel Ward's good. He's, he's everywhere. He had a blocked field goal. He's everywhere, man. I mean, he's he's a culture changer, too, on that side of the football. They got a secondary culture changer type guy, and they got a front four culture changer type guy. So, um, you know, nothing but positive reviews. And if you look at it, and I try not to have any bias here, but I'm not, I mean, maybe you could say Derwin James is, is in the mix and Darius Leonard is in the mix. But I mean, there's every every bit of a reason to think Denzel Ward is in the running for rookie of the year. I mean, the Browns clearly have the offensive front runner for rookie of the year, playing quarterback. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't be unheard of to win defensive and offensive rookie of the year on, on the same team, which would be really rare. So, yeah, Denzel played a great game. They they gave up, and the only guy who really hurt him was Buck Allen out of the backfield. He had eight catches for. For or sorry, eight targets, six catches, forty four yards, and then Snead had seven, seven catch seven targets, five catches, fifty five. yards. So those guys like did their damn. But the Browns played that sort of bend but don't break defense, and it was good, man. Like that's who they are. That that was the team I felt they've been all year. Last week was just really strange. I felt like there was a lot of miscommunication going on. And it could probably be tied to Mitchell being out, but EJ Gaines played his butt off. I mean, I he thought, really did. He yeah, really man, did. and he he had an interview on you know, Cleveland Browns Daily this week where he talked about I've never really been a bench guy who comes in, so it's been a really hard adjustment for me. I've started the last two years, and this is uh, so starting this week is really what I'm used to. So and, you know, it translated. He played really well. I you know he had the, he had a groin or hamstring injury too, so he played through that. And I I didn't think Baltimore ran the ball enough. They only ran it twelve times. Collins ran it twelve times for fifty nine yards, and they were behind too, so that plays in a bit of a factor, but they ran twenty five times for 116 yards, but I felt like really felt like they could have run for more. What did you think?
0: Yeah, they uh they definitely could have. I I'm sure that losing Collins for about a half, it seemed like What uh, happened there? You know, I'm not totally sure. I thought they were checking him out concussion wise.
1: Oh uh, but I thought they missed seemed- him because of the fumble.
0: You know, I I could be wrong. Uh, definitely, some of this is on feel uh, and what I saw on Twitter. I, I thought it was uh, looking at him injury wise, but you could I be could. right
1: there. I was at the game, man, so I have no clue. But I just in the stands, I had thought about like you know, on the low, I had a prop bet going about seventeen receiving yards for Alex Collins. I thought it was going to be like the money lock of the year, and he didn't play after that fumble. So I thought maybe that they were just kind of yanking him because of the fumble. But you could I, you uh, when you watch the game on TV you can see, you know, he's on the bench in the concussion protocol tent and all that stuff. So, I, I you know, I at the game, you don't know. So, um, yeah. yeah staying,
0: staying in like the secondary, uh, just, uh, you know, Randall, I think, again, just so sure tackler. And I don't think they tested him very much. I don't think they wanted to. Uh, I thought Peppers had a pretty damn good game. What did you think there?
1: Yeah, he was everywhere, taking on a lot of blocks, only had 4 tackles, but you know, whatever. He he's he sets an edge and takes on blocks and does some different things and what what Peppers does won't always show up in the box score, which is okay for me. So yeah, I I thought he played well. I got to watch it again, but a lot of immediate reaction people were saying that they thought he played well, so I'm I'm kind of in that mold too. Um Jamie Collins had twelve tackles and Kirksey had twelve tackles and Joe Scobert had you know nine tackles. Sorry, Joe Schobert, I always screw that up. It's an old habit. Twelve mm-hmm. tackles apiece for the. I mean, when your linebackers are scraping, cleaning 12, 12, and nine, those are that's a good day. Collins and Kirksey both had a TFL. That's what you want, man. That's what you want. It is.
0: And I'm going to I'm going to rely on you on on some of the breakdown, but I didn't leave this game feeling, you know, and and I I admit like uh, I'm coming in with these types of feelings, but uh, I wasn't real happy with what I saw out of Collins again. Uh, He he made a play or two, but uh, several of them I thought he was he was loafing on. And you'll have to tell me when you when you really break it down, like I'll believe it a little bit more versus my like feelings type thing here but I thought Collins had another bad game to be totally honest with you even even given the tackle numbers
1: yeah I I I remember specifically one play that got bounced outside around him that shouldn't have uh, we're just gonna have to look I don't think Jamie Collins is as fast as a lot of us think he is so I, I I he was an a gap rusher in New England and he probably should be doing more of that here, but he's not. He's doing some different things. I'm going to watch. He had a sack. He had a tackle for loss, so the stat sheet looks good. But we'll watch. I mean, I'm willing to say, I mean, if you're, you're stuffing the stat sheet okay like that, you know, it's – uh, he, he did something. I, the Browns' defenses, and really like the Browns in, in general, are kind of weird. Like I should feel a lot better about a defense that has given up so few points – to what team to teams that have been scoring relatively easily. I mean, the Ravens game, or sorry, the Raiders game was a one off, but like they held Pittsburgh in check for the most part, and they held New Orleans in check for the most part. Like, I kind of counted on games in which their defense was good enough to win games. And every game except Oakland, they were good enough. So it's like I don't know why I still feel weird about our defense. And I can't put my finger on it right now. I think it's because I think it's because they're very, and I keep saying it, but they're very bend don't break. Like they kept, they kind of allow teams to work twenty to twenty, and then they they had other than with the exclusion of week four, it had felt like they were doing a nice job keeping people out of the end zone for the most part. So, um, I I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a weird thing. Like a lot of people look at us and we're in the top ten in DVOA, and like I talked to my buddy who's a huge Buccaneers fan, and he's like, y'all got. You know I know you're complaining about Oakland but you got a pretty good defense it's like number 4 in DBOA value and I don't know I don't know man it's a really weird Browns team because on on like this is kind of bigger picture but you flip by the coin that could easily be 5 and 0 but it doesn't feel like a team that could be 5 and 0 am I like am I wrong like I it's an enigma you're not. It, it's you're like they they've played they played five freaking really weird games all of which, and they genuinely, all five games have been very strange. Even the Jets game, which is probably the least strange so far, had a game in which a rookie quarterback who had never played came in and brought his team back from a fourteen nothing deficit. So it's like it's been like it felt it feels like a season's worth of emotions in five weeks. It's just strange. It's very strange. So like yeah, they could be five and zero, but does it, it doesn't feel like a team that's that should be five and zero. I don't know. I'm, I I don't know. The more I think about it here, the more I'm tripping out. Yeah, I mean, and part of it
0: is that they, you know, despite as well as they have played, they, they are dependent quite a bit on the turnovers. You know, uh, the Ward interception took points off the board and, uh, you know, the uh, the fumble, you know, was a, a big thing. But, you know, if you don't have the types of turnover numbers that this defense has had, they wouldn't be rated anywhere near what they are in DVOA or, or those types of things, you know, in terms of yardage, we're, we're not looking that good. Uh, You know, I, I don't feel the same way. You know, when I watch. When I talked about the Ravens when we were previewing this game, you know I don't feel anywhere near like that when I watch the Browns, like how sound those Ravens are, and those that's not the type of defense this is. You know it's it's much more risk reward and those types of things, and I know that has to do with uh, Greg Williams and those types of things, but uh, and and the Ben but don't break, doesn't feel quite as good as uh, a defense that is sound uh, play in, play out. So, you know, I think that there's a little bit of that playing into it. So I don't know. I don't, you know, I thought maybe we were bouncing back into not so good territory after the Oakland game, although there were good points made about the positions we put them in offensively, giving up those turnovers. But. Uh, this was a really good game for them. Like all in all, this was a very good game against a team that has done well against good teams, you know? Uh, So
1: like New Orleans is a good team. The Ravens are a good team. Pittsburgh is probably a good team. Like, yes, I I don't know, but then it's like the Raiders go, go play San Diego. Who's, who's really by, by numbers, not a very good defense and just gets dominated today. So it's the end of part of it. It's the NFL is weird. And week to week, you never really always know who's going to show up. Like, the Bills have two wins, and that's a completely different topic. But, I yeah, mean, you, you almost just,
0: can't play, like, that transitive property type thing. You, you, really, other, can't, you, know? you
1: really can't, man. Like, some, some weeks people show up, and some weeks they don't. So, it, it's really hard. Like, I, I've watched a lot of football in my lifetime, and I I, I don't – this Browns team is sort of – all over the spectrum you could talk me into the Browns being 0 and 5 and you could talk me into being 5 and 0 and it's really strange so um here's what we do know the special teams we'll just kind of wrap with this man the special teams um, real quick though
0: yeah real quick
1: I I don't mean to interrupt you but like right before
0: like I want to get to my favorite part of the defense before we move on to that uh the defensive line yeah just talk a little bit about that like uh you know I thought the things that uh, you talked about with uh, Larry Joby, I thought he had a pretty good game. Uh, I thought he got some good reps there. I thought uh, Ogba, I thought had a nice bounce back game, felt like he was feeling more like himself. I thought Avery actually, when we see these stats, actually Avery had a better game than what people are going to remember. I think he had a tip. I think he had some key pressures. Uh, Miles, I thought, had a little bit of a weird, like, I don't know, third quarter where I didn't think he was quite right, maybe like a little winded or something like that, but he still made a, a, a couple of good uh, plays. But th- that defensive line did some work today for us.
1: Yeah, the stat sheet doesn't pop or anything. Like Coley has four tackles and a half a sack. Miles has a couple sa- tackles, half a sack. Um, Ogunjobi has a, a zero on all the boards, of, and then the board is just total tackles, solo tackles, sacks, and TFLs. Um, Agua did have five tackles, which is good to see. Edge setter against a team that runs outside, outside schemes quite often. So, um, yeah, no, they played well. Larry had didn't show up anything on this box score, but it'll show up in pass rushes and quarterback hits. And he was effective, he was certainly known. A couple of really close sack plays that I thought it, you know, second longer and he gets the sack, or there was a close like I thought sh- what should have been grounding. Yeah, I know the one you're
0: talking about.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. and Janard Avery. We'll watch the tape, but he's, dude, he's, he'll always pop up, and 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 there's no denying he's going to be a big part of the defense for a long time. So yeah, no, the defensive line was was good. They were good enough. They didn't necessarily dominate Baltimore, but I also think Baltimore has a really good offensive line in terms of uh, name value, how those guys are playing, uh, for the most part. So I know it, the the defense was. They're good enough to win in in a a full length overtime game. They gave up barely over 400 yards, you know. Kept Flacco to only you know near near 50 percent completion percentage, 29 of 56. They were they were good enough to win, and they they were the reason we won that game. And I can say that now about four, like I said, four of the five games they've been good enough to win NFL games, and that's saying something to to four or five games. You know what I mean? And you're right. A lot of it, John's tied to the risk reward nature. Like we'll see them take a heavy risk and it creates a big play, but then you'll see them send eight guys on the screenplay, And it just looks like, God dang it. You know what I mean? So you get the roller coaster of emotion. So I'm with you, man. All
0: right. But yeah, like you said, uh, rolling on, I just wanted to make sure that we uh, got a little bit in about those and I'll I'll be looking forward to your, uh, to your breakdowns this week, because uh, I think, like I said, I think we got to, a lot more pressures, uh, which don't show up in the traditional box scores. So, mm-hmm. uh, but special teams, you were saying,
1: yeah, they're bad. I mean, they're not good. I, I mean, <laughs> they gave up another, they missed two kicks, a couple kicks were missed. Can't miss PATs, missed one of those, missed a 55 yarder to win the game. Never now 50 yard kicks are never guaranteed unless you're in Carolina where they kick 63 yarders to win the game. But, um, <laughs> No, I missed two of those. I mean, even the winning field goal gets tipped, so we'll have to look at that. And another, they had a penalty on a punt return. They had a penalty on on a punt team. It just continues. They're they're on track, and and this is not by any lying value thing. I'm throwing that out there. They're on track to be the worst football outsiders DVOA special teams unit in the history of the ranking. So um, they're keeping that M.O. up. I thought Peppers did a nice job in punt return situations for the most part. He's not I don't think he's ever going to break you a long run, but he does catch the ball really well, and that can be underrated as having a guy back there, you know, is always going to catch the punt. So, um, yeah, that's they're not helping. There's still there's five weeks where I thought the special teams unit has not helped them win a football game, and that is uh, that's unacceptable. And and, no, the, I mean, I'm, and that's where I, I, I made a tweet, and I'll shut up. But I made a tweet that said to, to to have, and I'm thinking this in the stands to have as much cap space as they have, and to have as waiver priority as they've had leading up to this point to put that special teams unit on the field week after week. And I know that there are big there are there are regular starters that are a part of those teams. Like I'm not that point doesn't miss me, but there are also certain types of players that you bring in who are special teams guys and to continue to trot that terrible special teams unit onto the field in all phases week after week and be a part of they are putting forth losing efforts week after week is, is so unacceptable. It is just it is so unacceptable.
0: No, I agree. And uh, if we're not talking about, you know, if we don't have a, an exceptional in, individual effort by Ward to block that kick, yep. then we aren't even talking about a victory right now.
1: You're absolutely you know? right, man.
0: So, you know, uh, I know it's uh, it's kind of easy to brush that aside, but uh, they weren't good again. They weren't good again. They were good enough to lose another game for us had Ward not made that exceptional play individually. So, you know, you have to remember that. They were absolutely good enough to lose us another game, if not for Ward. You're right, man. You're right. How are we doing prop bets this week? Uh, you know, uh, the, let me see. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily have yours written down right in front of me, but I know, uh, you know, as far as mine, I know I had Baker over 250. We got there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Chubb over under seven and a half touches. I know I lost that one. I try, I try to go. I think you won that one. I think we each had one side of that. Um, I think that. Um let me see. I think you had John Brown under a 40 uh 1.5 40 yard plays and I think he I don't think he had one. I think yeah. he had the one large play but I don't think it was 40 yards. I think it might have been like 26 or 30 something yeah. like that. Uh let me see here. I went over Brown's two and a half sacks and I missed that, which I thought was a little bit surprising. We did yeah. have the
1: pressures. Yeah, they did yeah. have too. Interesting. Uh,
0: I took uh Flacco under the ninety quarterback rating and he was at about a sixty. So I was happy to see that.
1: That's a lock. I should have taken that one too. Uh
0: Collins, I know uh I think due to missing about a half, he was I think he was about sixty and change in total yards, so he didn't make the eighty. Um
1: I'm not sure how high
0: he did on his 75-yard rush, and I don't think he got it.
1: No, he got to 64. Interestingly enough, a site that I use, this is a little off-tangent, but a site that I use had him at 64.5, and he finished at 63. And I'm also not convinced. <laughs> it's getting late, and it's getting wonky. And if you've listened to the podcast this long, like major props, but I'm also not convinced time travel is not a thing. Like I'm, I'm almost positive. Back <laughs> to the Future, they have a guy who does this. He travels into the future and comes back, and dude, he he, he just knows. These lines are too creepy. They know they, have a,
0: right. they, they have, have a guy. They have
1: a guy. They have a they have a guy. <laughs> yeah, and he lives in a mansion somewhere, and he goes weeks ahead, gets what happens, picks the winners and losers. But these lines are too creepy, man. They're just too creepy. And I'm sure there's probably a, a for some sort of algorithm they use to formulate all this projection nonsense. But I'm also just not convinced a guy doesn't have a DeLorean and he's not going back and forth and doing this as his job. So there we are. It's 1130 on a Sunday. I'm not saying
0: that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> at with the dude.
0: All right, right before we leave, uh, I just want to take, like, uh, a couple of minutes here, or like not even a couple of minutes, but Jake Baker Mayfield hitting the third down and eight uh, to Derek Willis, making these things happen. It seems like we've got our guy. Uh, you know, how do you feel about this guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've laid it out, but but it's 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 interesting. You're two and a half quarters into the guy's career, or sorry, two and a half games into the guy's career. And you want to to try to avoid jumping to hyperbole. You want to try to avoid jumping to full-on conclusions. But I'm just not sure how the situation around Mayfield will get any worse. So, like, we all have an opinion of Hugh Jackson, his hand on the offense. We all have an opinion of the guys around him dropping passes. We all have an opinion of the undrafted free agent left tackle rookie. We all have an opinion of how Chris Hubbard's playing. I just don't get how with Mayfield it could get any worse for him situationally moving forward. I only think it can improve talent structure, scheme, all the above and he's still producing at a winnable really, really winnable football level in the NFL and that's that's saying something like in in these games he's 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 sitting at a sixty percent completion percentage. he's sitting at an eighty one quarterback rating. He's thrown a couple touchdowns. you know. He's thrown a couple interceptions now. I think he's thrown three interceptions. I can't really pin one of those interceptions on a missed read. Um, I I just don't have enough positive things to say about him. I'm I'm really hoping this isn't early career fool's goal type stuff. but, But as I focus on the position, I focus on the feel, all of the things we loved about him, I don't think it is in any way a fluke. And I think that we have our guy, which is really freaking awesome, because somebody finally messaged me that question today and said, you know, would you rather have him or Carson Wentz? And I had this – it's really weird, man. It's late again. But I had this piece like, you know what? I don't have to answer that question anymore. We, I don't care. Like, we have a guy that I really like, and Carson Wentz is uber talented, and if he were brown, I'm sure we'd all love him, and he'd be a good football player. Maybe not Eagles version, but you'd be a good football player here. And I'm just to the point that it's very peaceful to not have to say, I'm watching another team and I I want that quarterback. No, I want the guy we have. And he's here and he's clearly the culture changer type of player. The Browns hadn't scored 40 points in a decade. They do it last week. The Browns haven't had a quarterback throw for over 300 on the Ravens in a good amount of time. He's one of the few to do it in the past few years in general, in the NFL. He does it this week and he changed, he leads them down the field. Like you said, John on this, 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 a play, a drive situation where it felt like the Browns are going to lose this game. As we all know that feeling. And I talked to you about in the year, the preseason and all the above about some guy is just going to have to come along that just overcomes all of that. And that, that third and eight throw after they lost 11 yards, he He makes a gutty scramble on second down to make it third and eight from second and 21. And then to have both tackles in your lap, sort of use your hand to steady yourself and move off of your right tackle resets. He's sort of fading away, setting the feet in a sense a little bit to his right. And it's a cross body money throw to Willie's to make it a 40. I mean, I just, I don't know, man, I don't know what else you can say. I'll just say that, as far as a debut and two and a half quarters go for a franchise like the Browns digging them out of despair and here's here's my comparison still and I've said it since day 1 he is Drew Brees reincarnate with a stronger arm in my opinion Drew Brees took the Saints from depths of despair and built them into something that should be the path for Cleveland what Drew Brees did in New Orleans is what Baker Mayfield should do for Cleveland and I'm two and a half games in and i believe my evaluation of december after i had a full on feel for who he was and i believe it more now than ever so it's it's just it's freaking awesome that's what it is man
0: and I'll tell you what, man, it's funny that you happen to mention the Eagles and Wentz. That isn't really where I was going, but it is funny that you mentioned that because I also have uh, – I get a brother-in-law who is an Eagles fan, uh, and I'm not one of the ones who have been like bitter towards the Eagles about Wentz. I thought that he had his risks. I thought that he had uh, his flaws. I thought uh, their coaching staff did a phenomenal job and, and was every bit as – a part of his ascension as anything. Uh, So I never really, you know, was angry about passing on um, once, but there's a lot of Browns fans that were, and uh, you know, I did comment to him after this game, you know, that at this point, you know, there's no Browns fan that should feel bitter anymore towards the Eagles for that. Because even though we went different directions and the plans were on different timelines, It looks like we both ended up with our guy. And so there's, you know, let that go. Browns fans, let that go. You have your guy. We have a bright future. And we're sitting here uh, in the second week of uh, October. We do not have a losing record. We are undefeated in the AFC North. We are in the thick of things. Despite (laughs) what I feel is subpar coaching and especially on the special teams and uh, terrible special teams. Here we are. We have a real team. We are in the thick of it. We have a chance. And that's something that we haven't had in a long time. So you should feel really good about where you are and what you've got. So, you know, with that said, you know, uh, we'll sign off with a with a great night. You know, we we got a win, uh, a division win, an important win as far as trying to make something out of this year. So I'm a happy guy. Jake, I hope you're feeling the same. You got to feel it inside that stadium, so uh, hope you're feeling that good too.
1: Yeah, man, it is. It is the NFL is back for me as a person. We have a team that competes in this league, and it doesn't feel like the NFL is some something that other people get to enjoy while we just kind of have it as a part of an appendage on our our body. Like this is this is real. We have a team that can compete in the league and um, a team that can win a lot of football games this year if things continue to kind of shape up as they mold around this young quarterback so plenty of reasons to feel excited optimistic happy all of those sorts of descriptive words for for being excited as a fan base I'm there I'm with you I get to break down tape of a good football team so it makes me happy and, and winning's good for all of us let's just put it that way my man so it, it was fun to be there live I hope to be there covering it next week for the OBR up in the box so uh, we we will see how it all shakes out, but uh, heck yeah, man! These are these are fun podcasts to record, and hopefully, we get to record you know five, six, seven, eight more of them this year. I agree,
0: buddy, uh, and uh, let's enjoy our victory Monday. And uh, I will see you later this week when we have a little bit of a closer look at at how things happen. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you, man. Go Browns. Go freaking brownies.